Hey everyone, my name is Vic and I will be preaching today. Uh, welcome to Church at Home. Uh, today we are going to start a new series from the book of Haggai. Haggai is a minor prophet in the Old Testament, but we will discover he has a very major message for us. And uh, if you are a Bible reading believer or Christian here, maybe you're a bit more familiar with Nehemiah, uh, the guy who was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, and, uh, you know, Haggai's story actually starts long before, a bit before Nehemiah. Um, but I don't want you to use that as your means to find the book of Haggai in the Bible, because actually the Bible isn't uh, uh, organized chronologically. And so although Haggai happened before Nehemiah, uh, Haggai is actually after Nehemiah in the way that the Bible is structured. Uh, and so please don't go there or don't do that. But you know, Haggai, just like the people in uh, the book of Nehemiah, he was a part of the um, return exiles from the Babylonian captivity. And so there was this edict uh, in about 538 BC that uh, permitted the return of the Jews, Haggai was a Jew, to the um, Jerusalem uh, city to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And uh, opposition arose before they, or during the, you know, the start of this project, uh, much like with Nehemiah, uh, who also experienced opposition. And as a result, the work grounded to a halt. And uh, Ezra, the book of Ezra, many believe Ezra and Nehemiah is actually one book. So Ezra starts off in chapter 4, verse 4 to 5, just to give you some context. says this, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And uh, verse uh, 24 in chapter 4 says, Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I want you to uh, remember that because actually that's how the book of Haggai opens up. So we even see here that the work stopped for so long that actually there was even a change of leadership. Um, and in chapter 5 of Ezra, uh, it tells us kind of you know, the story of Haggai, where it begins, num verse 1 says, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, referring to Haggai and Zechariah supporting them. And so that's kind of the context uh, in the book of Ezra uh, for the book of Haggai that we'll journey together. Um, maybe you're still trying to find the book of Haggai in your Bibles right now. Um, and you think, well, I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm going to even understand this message. I can't find the book. Well, I, I think there's, there's an amazing group and I can't think of a better group of people like the guys at the Bible Project uh, to help us uh, kind of understand the whole book in its entirety in a, in a short, concise way. And so they're going to give us a quick overview of this book. But before we do that, let's just read the first 11 verses of the book of Haggai together. And uh, all of this will be up on the screen. So follow along with me if you can. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, said the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. We're just going to read up until there. Over to the Bible Project guys. Okay, well, you know, we all know the feeling uh, of procrastination. We all know what it's like to start a project and then to get sidetracked. Maybe something happens that slows us down or stops us entirely and we just don't uh, pick it up again. And we need something like an event or we need someone to sort of jolt us out of our um, passivity back into action again. I can think of one recent example for me. I'm still in the middle of it, to be honest. It's, uh, it's the shower in our ensuite bathroom at home. And uh, my wife and I, we decided we need to reseal the edges of the shower. It got a bit grimy. And so, you know, I pulled out all the old silicone and uh, left it, excuse me, to dry for a while. Um, and while it was drying properly, I, you know, and my wife, we, we needed to shower in our children's washroom um, so that it's, once it's dry, I could reseal it. Well, the summer has come and gone and my wife and I are still showering in our children's washroom uh, because I haven't finished the job. And, um, you know, I need a Haggai in my life to say, hey, finish what you started, you know, and maybe this, uh, this lockdown season is the time for that. But Haggai, as we read together with Zechariah, another prophet, called upon the people to stop focusing on their own economic well-being and to complete the temple, the, the job that they began. And the book of Haggai is truly relevant to us today in our time that I trust we'll discover in the weeks following as well, uh, because it, it shows us the need to put God's work first in our lives. It still applies to us today. Uh, and for the prophet, for Haggai in his day and in his society, uh, to put God first meant to rebuild the temple because that would have been a visible sign to the people around them that the, you know, this nation has prioritized God. And uh, you know, before we get into the details of Haggai, I also just want to stop by saying it, it's very tempting to, to make this a, a moralistic uh, book, you know, where we just give lots of kind of do's and don'ts saying live like this, do this, don't do that, um, and actually miss the, the point of this book and miss the gospel. And so we're going to be very careful that, uh, that, we, that we stick to that brief. Um, you know, you can even use this book uh, to, to kind of 
uh, uh, gather people and, and, and call them to, to give towards a physical building. I know some people have done that, saying we, we're going to build a, a sanctuary. And, you know, and right now, it's, it's amazing. We, we don't even have a, a rented facility, let alone an owned facility. And if we did, we certainly are not allowed to meet in there. Uh, and so I don't think it's a, a better time to preach through this book to make the point that this is not about that. This is about so much more. We're going to have a gospel-centered approach to this book. And that view is that Jesus is the ultimate temple. And we, His people, are also temples of the Holy Spirit. And His kingdom is the, the advancement. That's the building that we need to prioritize. So I trust it'll come through in the verses that we will see together and read together. And also, um, hopefully, as I say these things, you are reminded of a sermon that we preached like a few weeks ago, the first sermon of 2021, where we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus' command to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things that we may be concerned with. Maybe it's the stuff that the people of Haggai's time were concerned with. He said, actually, they will be added to you if you pursue my kingdom First, And so I, I think that's kind of the, the general tone and message that we are going to be getting from here as we journey together. So let's just go through these verses uh, and, and pull out what we feel uh, and what we learn from God, what he's saying to us. Um, verse 1, chapter 1. I don't know if you noticed that, but it says that the word of God came uh, uh, through the hand of Haggai, by the hand of Haggai. It's listed a little further as well, not just in verse 1. And, you know, I, I, I stopped for a moment. I thought about that. You know, the word of God came to Haggai in these two chapters of, of Haggai about five times over the span of uh, three or four months, you know, according to our of a modern calendar. But um, the phrase hand of Haggai got me thinking about, you know, writing. And um, I, I certainly don't need to uh, use Haggai as a, a means to make this point. I think all of Scripture helps me make this point as well because scripture was written down and preserved for us. Somebody wrote this down. Um, and so I don't think it's a huge leap to think that, you know, Haggai wrote down what God said to him as well. Um, but uh, but I, I thought about writing down what God says to you and what God says to me, uh, that, that discipline. And, uh, and I was reminded of my first Bible uh, as a Christian, my first study Bible. It had lots of space on the sides and I would often jot down what I think God is saying. Uh, and every now and then I would, you know, write down like a, a nice memory. Um, one of them was just, I, I started getting to know Tanya. She was a good friend of mine and I was crazy in love with her and she didn't feel the same way. And so, you know, I was oh, maybe too spiritual, you know, over-spiritualizing everything. But I remember writing down in the margins of this Bible some of the significant moments and sometimes things that I felt God said to me about her. And I was so upset when that Bible got stolen. You might think, why on earth would someone steal a Bible? Well, they stole my bag and my Bible was in my bag because actually I lost all of those references. You know, my kids even the other day asked me, oh, when was the first time you guys did this and did that? And we laughed about it because, you know, those things are actually written in a Bible that got stolen uh, a couple of decades ago. And uh, um, but but I still write in my Bible. I still write in books uh, the things that I feel God is saying to me. And it's amazing to actually Go back to these verses, you know, these pages. I have a brand new one that Ryan gave me with lots of a margin on the sides because it's still a discipline. And, and, and every now and then I, I, I stumble upon what I wrote months ago. And uh, sometimes it's an encouragement to keep trusting God for that. It's like future hope is embedded in that thing. Or 
sometimes it's, a, it's an opportunity for praise because as I read it, I realized God is so good. The thing He said to me or He said to us as a family or that He said to us as a church, and I write them all down. He's so good. He's, he's brought it to, to pass. He's made it, made it happen. And so it's so good to write things down uh, for us to keep track of God's faithfulness in our lives. Um, and, and also just the things that we learn, you know. I think about even me speaking right now. I don't know how many of you are taking notes. Uh, I remember when we used to gather in person. I think over time as the internet and, and, and those kinds of things, you know, went on the rise, people stopped taking notes, certainly in church contexts. And, uh, and I don't think we, we're better off because of that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, this on-demand culture that we find ourselves in, I think has caused us to be empty people. We kind of like, the, the, uh, the illustration is that of a Chromebook. <laughs> I might be in trouble today as I use this, this analogy, but you know, a Chromebook is really just a glorified web browser. It's, it's a very low profile uh, uh, machine with not a lot on it. It's meant to be online all the time and whatever you need, uh, you, you just open up a web browser and you, you can fetch the stuff from the internet. Um, and I think we've turned to a bit more of a Chromebook these days as individuals as opposed to a MacBook. Okay, now a MacBook comes with some serious power. Uh, all the applications are on board. It's built in. The hardware is amazing. And I think, you know, when we write things down, it's like we, we install God's truth into our lives. You know, we, we, uh, we actually upgrade our processes. We, if we just stop writing things down thinking that uh, it's online somewhere or it's printed somewhere i can just search for it and and find it and order it i don't have to memorize it i think um, i think we we're the worse off as a result of that and so i know this is a little bit of a rant and and yes maybe it's not the best first point you know out of the book of haggai but the word of the god came to them through the hand of haggai and i think that you know you should also use your hands when you hear god speak to you write it down reflect upon it uh, make notes because in that that um, repeating of the information you put it inside of you and uh, and then you give the holy spirit an opportunity one day to pull it out again okay so let me move on i think it's time um, chapter one verse one still we see here that the word of god came through haggai the prophet to zerubbabel who was the governor like the king of judah and joshua who was the 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 son of the high priest the priest and so we see this leadership trio at work here in Haggai. And, and uh, again, I stopped and just thought about that. And, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, we see those three officers work together to accomplish the purposes of God um, in, in, in history. And they each had a unique gifting. The prophet was somebody who, as we see here with Haggai, often called out sin and said to people, repent, turn around. They pointed to a glorious future and said, come on, this is where we ought to be. This is where we ought to go. And uh, the, the job of a king was often that of governance and oversight uh, and, 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 you know, structures. And, and leading a people into those prophetic purposes. And the job of a priest was to, to mediate, to, to, to represent the nation before God, to, to make sacrifices, you know, uh, and, and atonement, to care uh, for the people. And so they often worked together, as we see in this, 
this account here. And, you know, Jesus Christ in the New Testament is truly the fulfillment of these three offices. He's the ultimate king of kings. Um, he's the uh, ultimate, you know, uh, um, word of God. You know, as we think of the prophet, he is the one that, that, that is, is God. The very words coming out of his mouth is God's words. He's the word made flesh. And he's the ultimate priest, not just in, in uh, uh, you know, representing us before God, but being the ultimate sacrifice too, uh, paying the price for our sins, dying in our place. And so Jesus fulfills all of those offices. But, you know, when he was ascended, uh, when he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, the Bible tells us he poured out his spirit on people and he gave gifts to men and women, to, to the church. And, and there are a whole bunch of them uh, um, uh, in the New Testament and prophecy is certainly still a part of that uh, leadership gifts, you know, like the kingly aspect, like of the apostles and the elders and leaders of a church um, and, and many other gifts. Um, uh, even the uh, evangelists, you know, there's a prophetic element to them. But, but Jesus expanded on these gifts as he poured out his spirit upon his people and for the same purposes so that the, the church, the, the, um, the, the kingdom of God can be advanced through the church. Every member of this body, this church, uh, playing its part. And so I want to encourage you as a city gator to, to think through the gifts that God's given you, how he has gifted you. It's one of our values to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are Holy Spirit empowered servants like Jesus. And so um, how has the Holy Spirit empowered you? Maybe you don't know that answer. We have a tool for you. You can go to citygates.ca forward slash my gifts. And it's just a bit of a tool to help you do an assessment to kind of figure out how God has uniquely gifted you. Because we as a church need your gift. Actually, that's one of the ways that you can prioritize the kingdom of God is by actively exercising these gifts in the local church and in the, uh, the world uh, as well. So uh, make, make some effort, I, I think, um, maybe an encouragement to you to to use your gifts, even in this time where it seems like you, you don't know how it can take place with, uh, with limitations to our physical gatherings. But let's carry on. Let's carry on reading. You know, verses uh, 2 to 4 um, uh, actually highlights the excuses that Haggai's people make for not prioritizing uh, God's house. And they say it's, it's not the time. And God responds by saying, oh, really, it's not the time uh, um, to... to uh, prioritize the, the rebuilding of my temple while you prioritize the building of your own homes, your paneled houses. Uh, in verse 9, he says, each of you are busy with your own house, with your own needs, your own kingdom, in a sense. Um, their priorities uh, has shifted. It reminds me of the, the parable that Jesus told of the great banquet when he said the kingdom of God is like a great banquet and, and people are invited to this. And then they make excuses. You know, the first one says, oh, I can't come to this banquet because I just bought a field. Sounds very much like the people of Haggai. Uh, another one says, oh, no, no, I just bought like a whole bunch of oxen. So, you know, I've got to go attend to those. I can't come to, to this banquet. And, and another person even said, I just got married. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to come. So very sort of me, my kingdom, my world, my house, my needs kind of excuses that are made. And they are bypassed, you know. And that's in many ways the excuses that it sounds like these people are making in Haggai. Saying, no, uh, not now, God. Not now. They are reluctant to uh, finish the job. And, you know, the initial reason for them was opposition, as we saw in uh, Ezra, chapter 4, verse 4 to 5. But that opposition caused them to slow down, eventually to stop. And when they stopped, it actually led to apathy and a complete shift in priorities, because this is nearly 
two decades now, you know, it's like 18 or so years later and they still haven't finished the job. And so the question for us really is, could it be that we've had our own opposing forces? We've had our own opposing circumstances over this last year, most certainly. Reasons for us to, 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 to stop or to slow down or to change how we do things. And as a result, you know, for these guys at Haggai, um, the opposition meant an end in construction for them. And that led, led to an end in caring. End in construction led to an end in caring. And, and the question to us is, you know, has, has an end to certain things, the way that we are accustomed to gathering, has it led to our own growing cold, to our own, um, uh, uh, you know, apathy? Uh, has our, our, our temporary, because this is temporary, our temporary in, in ab- ability to gather, inability to gather, led us to a, a kind of apathy? And if that is the case, maybe you just take a moment, think about this. Think about your life. Compare now with like, you know, 12 months ago or, or longer. And if the answer is yes, well, Haggai is a kind of warning. It is a warning to us it's saying, hey, pull up your socks. Hey, reprioritize. Uh, verses 5 to 11 uh, explains the state that they're in as a result of that. You know, their, their current state is actually not prosperity at all. Uh, they're living in a kind of consequence of their actions. And their actions, as we said, is prioritizing their own needs over the kingdom, over the house of God. And it reminds me of Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to say it a few times where Jesus teaches that, you know, seek first God's kingdom and these other things will be added to you. And if you don't seek his kingdom first, you seek your own needs in that sense. You prioritize yourself. Actually, the result is anxiety and, and worry and concern and, and to be overoccupied with those needs at the expense of God's kingdom. And so that was the case with them. And you know, if that is the case for you, well, you know, we do slow down. We do stop. The you know, opposition's kind of come our way. That's a, a guarantee. You know, in this world, we will have trouble. And when the trouble causes us to grind to a halt, you know, we need Haggai's. And actually, maybe this is a Haggai moment. Maybe I'm Haggai speaking to you, saying, hey, pull up your socks. Hey, come on now. You know, uh, uh, take your eyes off of these earthly things and put them back on the, on the, on the heavenly kingdom and the purposes of God and, uh, and see what God does. Um, you know, the, 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 the encouragement from God uh, through Haggai is to rebuild the temple. So what's going on here? What is up with this temple? Like why, why, why this? You know, why is God pushing for this? And, and you know, the, the temple of God at, at, at many functions, you know, maybe two main ones, was first was the place of sacrifice for sin. Uh, and, uh, and secondly, it was the dwelling place of God's glory. So it's just, you know, Bible code for his presence, the, the weight of who he was. And the neglect of the temple by these people actually showed that they demonstrated an indifference Visible to their own sin, if this is a place where their sin is atoned for, the sacrifices made over there, they've kind of grown casual about how they live and represent God, casual about their sin. But also they have, they have they've forgotten about God's presence and the blessing that comes from that, from His nearness and His closeness, and they've taken that for granted. And so, um, so the, the, the big point here is that God wants to be near uh, that's, that's the incredible thing. He wants to draw near. He wants their sin to be atoned for so that he could be close to them. And, and the temple at that stage was the means through, through which that takes place. The, the rebuilding meant that he could dwell among his people. God could be close, could be near. 
and uh, God's manifest presence, okay, is 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 what we see this, the 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 temple uh, often experienced like a cloud that came upon it, and uh, you know, atoned sin. So in other words, sin that is that is paid for um, uh, through the sacrifices is what um, guaranteed that. And for us as New Testament uh, Christians, you know, we we're on the other side of the coming of Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, and so, you know, we can experience God's manifest presence because of what he did for us. But God's presence, you know, for them still meant that they could continue their mission to be a light to the nations. So one of the reasons uh, for God's presence to be there is that it would set them apart. Exodus chapter 33 is Moses when he led the people of God out of captivity, out of Egypt, uh, on their way to the promised land. He said to God, please don't send us from here if your presence does not go with us. Because if you don't go with us, what else will distinguish us from every other uh, uh, people on the face of the earth? Moses understood that, that the presence of God is the thing that separates them from every other nation. And so the presence of God uh, in the temple of God is a light to the nations, pointing uh, to the one true God. And so they've lost that edge, that missional edge. But more, more amazingly is, is, is God's heart here of wanting to be near. Uh, if there's anything you take home today is that God is committed to closing the gap between his people and himself. He is committed to pursuing them. This is the wow factor. You've got to think, man, this is incredible. God is so committed. He is coming after these apathetic people and he's shaking their dust off. He's saying, come on, you know, fix up this temple because I, I want to be with you. And I think it's a perfect moment for us to, trans, uh, to trans, uh, transition into a time of communion. And I'll explain how communion connects with the things that we've just said now in a moment. So maybe, maybe get ready as a family right now. You know, um, Jesus, as I mentioned right in the beginning, uh, is the lens through which we, we need to make sense of Haggai as well. And Jesus was called Emmanuel. And if you remember over Christmas, you know, we explained that term means God with us. And so Jesus physically represented the presence of God amongst these people, much like uh, what we read about Haggai wanting to, this, this temple to be built so that the presence of God can be there. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that. He's the ultimate example of prioritizing the Father's will uh, over, over, over His own. Um, he, he left His house. You think about Haggai's people who prioritized their houses, you know, their kingdoms. Jesus left the heaven. He left he left that to come to earth and he certainly did not have a glorious uh, earthly experience. He walked in humility. It wasn't a paneled house or a, a, a dolled up house that, 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 that Haggai alludes to uh, in terms of those people's places. So he's the ultimate example of that. He didn't get sidetracked on his mission when opposition came his way. And Jesus did have opposition to the extent that they killed him, but he knew that was part of God's plan. He didn't back out. Uh, he said, your will, not my will be done. And so he saw it through to completion, unlike the people in Haggai who needed to be uh, reminded, hey, you've got a job to finish. Um, and Jesus, uh, in John chapter 2, he cleanses, he cleanses the temple. He chases the, the money changes out. You know, the, 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 the temple looked more like a marketplace than a place of worship. And, uh, and in doing that, he showed real zeal for God's house. Uh, the zeal that you and I and the people of Haggai lacked. 
And the amazing thing is right after he cleansed the temple, he says this amazing thing to the rulers of the day there. He says that um, that temple will be destroyed and be rebuilt in three days. And he was referring to himself. You see, he is the ultimate fulfillment of a destroyed temple uh, being rebuilt. And he's referring to his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. He was saying, I am now the, the ultimate temple. If you want to meet God, you meet him with me. This is where you meet God. And maybe you're here today and you are, are intrigued by this thing I'm saying about the presence of God with his people. And you think, how does that work? Uh, and we want to say to you, if you want to meet with God, you go through Jesus. You go to Jesus. He is the ultimate uh, meeting place uh, for, uh, with God for us. And it is through his death and his resurrection and his ascension, ultimately, that we now, as his body, in other words, he's the head, he's the leader, we're the church, the body, little, all different members of the gifts that I talked about in the beginning. So we are now described as the new temple, and we are, the, we are like living stones, the Bible says, built into this temple. Uh, it's, 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 it's us now. It's amazing that through his death on the cross and his resurrection and ascension, we are now people who can have the presence of God in us. And that's why this communion moment is so amazing, because the, 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 the juice or the wine that represents his blood and the bread that represents his body was given. His blood was shed. His, his body was given on that cross for you and me to pay for our sin. Because our sin is what stood in between us and God. That's why the temple in Haggai needed to be there so that sacrifices for sins could be made so God could come near. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, which means God can come near to us. Even though we know we're sinners, our sins paid for and forgiven on the cross. And God can come and live inside of us. If it's not for what Jesus has done on the cross, when God came near, we'd be consumed. Judgment would be upon us. We'd, we'd, be, we'd be dead. But God can be in us now. We can, are like temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of God with His presence in us, all because of what He did on the cross, because He died in my place for my sin. And so won't you take this moment before we transition into the time of commission and eat and drink in celebration of that truth. Okay, I trust that um, you know some of you have had communion and, and maybe some of you are planning to do that over a meal today. But let me just uh, you know, conclude a moment with a prayer before we move into commissioning. Lord, I thank you so much for your, your body was given and your blood that was shed on that cross so that uh, in this moment we can experience your presence and we can experience forgiveness. You know, we, we had a moment of confession earlier today and we could be forgiven of the things we confess there because of what we celebrated right now in this moment. Your blood shed in your body given the, the cross where you paid the penalty for our sin so that you could open up the way to the father and so that you could come and live in us by your spirit we are so grateful for that we love you so much for that and we worship you jesus amen okay well next week I'm going to look at the people's response as a nation to the message of Haggai and then uh, specifically to our response, maybe some more detail to that. But I just want to leave us with two quick comments on, on uh, prioritizing uh, God's house and, and how not to perhaps prioritize our paneled homes, you know, as in, in the words of Haggai. And, you know, I want to start off just by, by reminding you of this term, uh, first world problems. I don't know if, if you are familiar with that. I'm sure you are. It's often the things that we in the West here complain about. 
Um, and it's a term that actually is given to us by people in the developing world or in the third world, you know, when they see what upsets us and, and, and what, the, the rights that we feel we need to have, you know, they scratch their heads because they have different priorities. And so I don't think, I don't even think you need to be a Christian to understand that our society has kind of made the wrong things important. And so I'm not going to get into that kind of stuff right now. I'm like, come on, you know, there's people less fortunate than you who understand the value of family and, you know, all the things that we actually learned uh, during this COVID season. But just two quick things that, that connects to what we've shared today. Number one is if Jesus's body, which is the church, you and me, uh, is the temple, uh, and the temple is the you know the, the way the presence of God is, and, and if we take Jesus seriously when He says we're two or more are gathered in His name, there He is in the midst of us. We can say that actually when we gather together, whatever form or shape it is, whether it's on Zoom or in person, but when we gather together in His name, He says He will be there. Then actually we should prioritize. That's one of the ways that we prioritize His kingdom is in kingdom activity when we come together. Maybe it's this moment right now. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe you're catching up midweek and you weren't with us on Sunday. I don't know. But, but this, this thing that we're doing, uh, in the way that we're doing it right now, it's the only way we can. Zoom gatherings over community groups. Make it a priority. Please don't, don't let Zoom fatigue and the fact that you maybe have worked online the whole day actually rob you of prioritizing the, the, the opportunity to experience God's presence uh, amongst God's people. You know, I, I don't have any of my family with me. Nobody lives in Canada. They're all overseas. And when they want to do a Zoom call with me, I'm not going to say, no, nah, you know what? I'm doing community group on Zoom and I'm online with church and, you know, I'm just done. No, I'm going to prioritize them because they're my family. Uh, I'm going to, you know, make the effort. Even the time zone's bad. You know, it's like we have to do it like crazy hours of the morning or at night because they live in another country. I'm going to prioritize that time. I'm not going to go, well, just, you know, I've had enough of online. I, I, I put that argument aside because of the importance of those people. Uh, and so I think I can, you know, I can, I can, I can speak into this matter uh, about the family of God because I really do believe that the family of God, the, the people of God, will outlast the physical families, the the, the natural families that we have. Um, and so we, I prioritize God's kingdom in that way. I, I show up for our Zoom community group gathering. I'm here uh, in this, this Sunday moment. In fact, I'm here twice. I'm preaching it now, and I'm also sitting in front of the TV listening to myself right now. And so I would say that's one of the ways where you can prioritize. And number two, just in closing, is, um, is that you know, if the presence of God uh, is, is a missional thing so that the nations can see the one true God, and you are a glory carrier now through the Holy Spirit. You have the presence of God, not just His presence, but also His word, His, his good news, the gospel. Uh, it is still meant to be shared in whatever shape or form we can right now. And, and, that, and, 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 and giving towards that and, and working towards that is prioritizing His kingdom, His advancing kingdom. And one of the ways we're going to do that is through Alpha again. We're going to launch online Alpha the end of January. And I'd love for you to get behind and inviting friends and family members who do not know Jesus to join us. Alpha, for those who are guests, is just a 10-week experience where we discuss openly truths about life, faith, and God. And anyone is welcome who is not a Christian, specifically so that we could introduce them to the truth of Jesus. So how can you be a part of that? Uh, I don't expect you to attend it. Uh, if you are bringing a friend, I think it's a good, good thing to attend it as well alongside your friend. But when we share this, 
this week on social media, on the internet. Uh, won't you repost it? Won't you reshare it? Um, I know you're online. I know that you spend a lot of time on your social media feeds. Uh, uh, um, and so don't deny that. All I'm asking you is to not just like it, but to repost it, to forward it on, to spread the news. Uh, if, uh, you know, if all of us do that, thousands of people um, will be made aware of this opportunity to explore faith. And right now, people are doing that. You know, my wife has just opened up a little store in, in Pickering Village and uh, they sell products and people want to sell products. Uh, and, and it's amazing to see how many uh, of those products are connected to some kind of spiritual uh, uh, philosophy. I, I'm amazed at it. The things that people will believe, you know, what, what is in a, a, a sort of um, a material uh, uh, ornament or, or I mean, I don't have the words right now, but I can just tell you that people believe all sorts of interesting things uh, about, uh, about spirituality, which means they're searching. They, they really are. And, and I, I know that we have the truth. If I listen to their arguments and I think of the gospel, I'm like, man, this, this makes sense. The gospel makes sense. This is what they're hungry for. And the question is, you have the truth. Are you pointing people to Jesus? That's all. You have Jesus alive in you through the Spirit. Are you pointing people to Him? Alpha is one easy way that you can do that. Please get behind this initiative. Please help us share the news of Jesus. Help us, help others find and follow Jesus. Okay, that's all from me. Uh, you know, continue this week asking the question of how can you prioritize God's, God's kingdom? And uh, we'll catch you at community group or otherwise uh, next uh, Sunday online again. God bless you.